Welcome to Hive Mind. I am Meg. I am here in studio with Eli McCann. Hey, Eli. Hey. And on the phone, we have Shelby Hinsey. Hey, Shelby. Hello. Thank you so much for being here with us today. A returner. Of course. An all-star. An all-star. Hive Mind all-star. Uh, tell us what you've been watching, Shelby. Oh, let's see. What have I been watching? Um, I have become, during the last year, just like a... Bra- I, like, I've always liked Bravo shows, but now I'm, like, way sucked into them. So I'm watching Real Housewives of Dallas, New Jersey, um, <laughs> Below Deck. Like, we watch those when they air every night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then The Challenge also. Um, I'm just like, give me all the trash TV right now. Okay, explain the challenge to me because everybody talks about the challenge and I can't catch the vision. Granted, I haven't spent a ton of time researching it, but give me the TLDR on the challenge. I mean, basically, so it started as taking people from real world and road rules and putting them together in a kind of survivor-ish but not, but you're not like surviving. You're just doing challenges, basically. Okay. And, um, but you're like living in a house. And so it's like not, bachelor like, pad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, and then it's grown over the last few years because I don't think they do road rules anymore. Do they even do real? They don't even really do real world either. Uh, I didn't know MTV was still a channel, so yeah. I don't know. Well, they. I mean, it should be called Ridiculousness yeah. Network <laughs> yeah. um, at this point because that's all they play. Mm-hmm. And then the challenge. Um, but now they they bring in people from, like, other reality shows. Like, there's a bunch of people from Big Brother. There's a couple people from reality shows that are uh, in other countries. Um, and they bring them in to compete. It's It's fun. It's totally just, like, mindless. There's lots of twists and turns. My mom has watched it for forever, um, so she's the one. She's the she's the reason why I watch any Bravo shows is because she watches them, um, and then I get sucked into them, and then now I'm obsessed. Um, but so she's like really invested in it because she knows all the people. Because like there's one guy that's been on it for like 20 seasons, <laughs> and he just comes back every year. And what and so a career! Like, well, I mean, yeah. And so she, I think this is his last season. He's kind of to the point where I'm like, I don't know if you should be doing these anymore. You're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> um, so, so for her, it's fun because she knows a lot of the people. Um, sure. And I imagine that, you know, next season it will be fun because there's a couple like rookies this year that I really liked. So I want to see them come back next year. <laughs> yeah, just stuff like that. So that's what I've been watching. So lots of highbrow. <laughs> Prestige TV, it sounds like. Right, right. Good, well, good for budget. you. Love it. Have to really, really thinkers. <laughs> <Good. laughs> Eli, what have you been watching? So I'm working my way through the documentaries that are nominated for Best Picture of the Oscars. And this week I watched Collective. Have either of you seen it yet? Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. It It is... It's very good. The storytelling is absolutely incredible. It is a bummer. It's about a nightclub in Romania that caught on fire. A bunch of people died. A bunch of people were burned. And then the hospital's inability to treat the burn victims caused many more of them to die, which resulted in sort of an exploitation of uh, the mismanagement, the government mismanagement of the uh, healthcare system 
which led to a massive protest that overthrew the government. And so the documentary follows the new Minister of Health, the press, who is trying to report on government corruption, and then some of the families that are dealing with the aftermath of their children dying and wanting justice for that. And it is gut-wrenching. It's very, very sad, and it's super frustrating because you're watching sort of the inner workings of how corruption affects government and how government officials take advantage of systems, uh, healthcare systems when they can. Um, but it's it's some of the best storytelling I've ever seen in a documentary. I totally recommend it. But just get yourself into a headspace where you can handle some bleak stuff. Okay. So we're basically yeah. watching the same thing as what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Below deck, <laughs> the collective. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. So, and then the other day, I don't know what got, what got me to do this, but I was really curious. So, you know, I Love Lucy, the episode, the Chocolate Factory episode, mm-hmm. where, you know, they go work for the Chocolate Factory. Iconic, like one of the most iconic things in television history. And I was like, I kind of want to watch that because I haven't seen that in two decades, probably. So I pulled up that episode and I tried to watch it from the perspective of what if I didn't, had never seen this before, had never heard of this plot line. And I was, like, crying. I was laughing so hard. And I think, like, some of these, like, iconic television moments that we're all used to are, like, not funny to us anymore because it's so, like, embedded in our culture. But it got me thinking, like, man, this show and, like, the writers of this show, like, might have been peak comedy at it. You know, like, if you see or hear, like, some of these plot lines fresh, like, I don't know that we've ever come up with something funnier than Lucy and Ethel getting overwhelmed at work and shoving chocolate in their mouth so that nobody would know that the <laughs> conveyor belt was, like, pushing them by <laughs> faster than they can handle. Like, it is so funny. I highly recommend everybody go revisit that. And then everything else I'm watching, I think I'm too embarrassed to admit right now. So... <laughs> So that's, I think that's it for me. Everything else I've been watching, I'm too embarrassed to admit. So, um, Meg, what have you been watching? Okay, Top Chef started. We're on season 18. Uh, Irene and I are actually recapping this season on Hive Minds. So you can hear a recap of the first episode. Top Chef is such a good show. Is it one season a year? Is it 18 years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's been on a long time. Oh, okay. a long time. I don't, I think it's. I don't know if the All Star seasons are off of. Like they might do a season and then an All Star season. I'm not sure. You know, COVID messed everything up, and I started watching during COVID, so I don't know the exact timing. But it's been around forever. It's such a good show. Uh, we love it so much. We're podcasting about it. So check out that episode. And uh, we are watching Frasier still. We're on I think season six, and we just watched the episode where Frasier and Niles and Martin go to the Antiques Roadshow and they have this hideous family heirloom that turns out to be worth a ton of money and Niles and Frasier uh, believe that they are descended from the Romanoffs and of course it's Frasier so they're actually descended from a prostitute who stole (laughs) the heirloom from the Romanoffs. (laughs) It's just a really good episode of television. Uh Uh, We... I can't decide if I love or hate Frasier at this point. It's just what we do now. Like, mm-hmm. at 10 o'clock, it's like, we got a Frasier. I miss Frasier. <laughs> we got to go Frasier. And we're in it. And I don't know what we're going to do when we run out. Mm. But that's where I'm at. And then I watched, along with the two of you, one of the documentaries nominated for Best Documentary this year at the Academy Awards. And it is Crip Camp. Um 
I told Stephen we were doing this, and I told him that I was like, yeah, and Shelby's going to come on the show with us. And he was like, oh, does Shelby know a lot about gangs? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. No, that's not what this is about. <laughs> um, Shelby, tell us what Crip Camp is about. Yeah, so it is um, not about gangs. <laughs> uh, it is a, the, the title is kind of a reclaiming of the word cripple, which is generally uh, now deemed very derogatory, uh, but has since been kind of reclaimed by the disability community. Um, and it starts out um, talking about a camp for kids with disabilities, teenagers um, with disabilities, run by hippies in the Catskills. Um, and it has a lot of found footage. They, a group of filmmakers went out to this uh, camp in the late 60s, early 70s, um, and gave campers uh, cameras and let them kind of just narrate their lives and what was going on. Um, that Nothing really happened with that footage except um, there's one scene in the, in the show, in the movie, where you learn that there was a crabs outbreak at the camp. And so the filmmakers actually ended up making a documentary about that. And that's the only thing that that footage had been used for. And it had just been sitting in a vault for 40 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's actually a vault. I just think everything's the Disney vault. In the Crabs documentary vault. Um, so so it follows these um, p- uh, teenagers with disabilities who then start to grow up, go out into the world, and start saying, you know what? Like, I shouldn't have to be fighting so much for equal rights and equal access to everything that's around um, you know, everyone else has access to. And so it shows kind of this civil rights movement around disability rights and how we got from that to uh, the ADA, which was signed in 1990. So that's kind of the the, the recap of it um, and how, and, and just the kind of the collectiveness of, um, you know, all of these people were able to meet at this camp and create relationships. And then as adults, uh, move use those relationships to really move forward a nationwide and worldwide movement. I'm embarrassed because I didn't know any of the history of this, or nor did I know how recent the ADA was signed. Um, it's yeah. one of those things where I just always assumed that ramps had been a part of our public buildings and. Mm-hmm. Uh, access had been provided. Uh, Shelby, for you, were the figures in this movie people you were aware of prior to watching? Um, so I knew, obviously I knew about the ADA, but the ADA is only two years older than I am. Wow, it's um, wild. So, so I, I'm kind of like the first generation of people that have like spent my whole life with that protection. And we can talk a little bit more about that later and some of the, uh, you know, parts of it that still need a, to, we're not, we're not a hundred percent there yet. Right. Um, but the individual people, um, I didn't know a lot about. I knew about the Capitol crawl, um, where people left their wheelchairs and crawled up the Capitol steps. Mm-hmm. I knew about the five or four sit in, um, but that wasn't because I learned that in school. Um, I think 
I think we like touched on the ADA once in high school. It was like a paragraph in a textbook. Um, but I had learned that individually, but I didn't really know the like individual people, um, until I watched this documentary, and now I'm kind of obsessed. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so interesting, Shelby. I've I've learned a lot about kind of current issues around disability discrimination, disability rights, largely because of my friendship with you. I feel like you've been a really uh, effective communicator in my life on what that looks like, and it's been really fascinating for me the last several years to hear you talk about these issues quite a lot, tweet about them, write about them, whatever else. But I had, I think I had in my mind this idea that uh, things looked fine even, you know, in the 70s, that, or that they looked mm-hmm. how they look now. I, I didn't realize that there had been such a huge shift since, like, the 70s. And I thought the documentary did a really interesting job portraying this, uh, the way things were in the 60s, 70s, in such a bleak Kind of way they they sort of showed that basically like disabled people didn't have a place in society and didn't have the ability to really engage in society and the way they were portraying it and showing it I kept thinking I, I would have assumed that this was like what it was like in like the 1930s yeah but not in the right. 70s I just kind of had in my mind like surely by the 70s we figured a lot of this out but at right. least the way the documentary it describes disability rights there weren't there was nothing it, people were just like on their own at that time and it was really alarming to see that yeah well and and it's interesting to me kind of being i'd say i'm kind of like the second generation of people that were even able to go to public schools hmm. um the ADA, so the 504 was signed in the 70s and you know had a bunch of uh people trying to fight back against it which is covered in the film um, but, and that, and that says that anybody who takes public money, so any government buildings, universities, schools, all of those kinds of things have to be accessible. Um, so that was signed in the seventies. When I said I wanted to go to BYU, um, my dad who went to BYU in the nineties was like, Oh, I don't know. It's like, there are a ton of stairs on that campus, even in the nineties, you know, 20 years after when that should have been, you know, that should have been changed. Um, and now, you know, the campus is fairly accessible and there's been a lot of changes that have been made in you know, the last 40 years now. But, um, yeah, it's one of those things that's like, and even now looking at the ADA, which is 30 years old, you know, some of the things that are still not enforced um, and the lack of understanding that people have around that law as well and what it what it means and how it's enforced there's yeah there's a i I don't remember which person was it's been a couple weeks since i watched this but there's somebody in the documentary who talks about getting kicked out of a school because like the administration i think essentially said oh we can't accommodate you and so they're like it's just too difficult so you can't go here anymore and when i heard that i was like what you know my my 2021 sensibilities are like well surely you can't kick a kid out of school because they have a disability but that was a reality for people up until this legislation got passed and got started getting enforced and it's really wild yeah and i think now you see a lot of um you know more pervasive uh, or more um 
what is the word? Uh, oh my gosh, why can't I think of the word? Under the radar, mm. in ways that people try to push disabled kids out of schools and into different schools um, and different programs so that they don't have to deal with them. Mm. Um, because it is illegal, but but they still find ways to do that. That is still a very large issue, especially for kids who have learning disabilities or intellectual disabilities. Um, you know, we think of ADA, the ADA a lot as helping people with physical disabilities and who are deaf or blind, um, who use wheelchairs, and that's a huge part of it. But there's also so many protections for people with intellectual disabilities that uh, we tend to try to covertly, that was the word, mm. get around as well. I, I like this documentary a lot. I think they it had a few flaws. And one of them was introducing the institutions and showing us uh, inside the institution where a lot of the intellectually disabled people were living at the time. And it was horrific and disturbing. And then we didn't hear any more about that, whether or not right. those institutions were done away with. And I, I that movie ended and I thought, I'm so glad for how much progress was made but what happened to those kids in that right. institution mm. i mm-hmm. i'm still not exactly sure i mean hopefully places like that don't exist so, anywhere anymore mm-hmm. so i can tell you uh, you're not not quite as bad as that but they do exist Ugh. they still do exist and that is um, one of the big movements of the disability community right now is creating more home and community-based services um, and keeping people out of nursing homes. Um, It is cheaper for someone to receive services in their own home, even if that's 24 hours a day services, Mm. than it is to put someone in in an institution. But we just don't have the infrastructure. And this is actually part of the infrastructure bill that... um, Congress is debating right now is putting a ton more money into uh, home and community-based services, um, nursing homes for, and we've seen that in COVID, you know, just how easy it was for COVID to uh, break out in nursing homes mm-hmm. and these congregant facilities. Um, there was a facility just in 2018, 2019, I believe, for um, autistic kids that finally a judge said they had to stop using electroshock therapy. Um, And they are currently back in court trying to fight to be able to still do that um, this year. Wow. So, So, you know, it's obviously not quite as dire as those pictures, but that does still exist, and that's still a huge concern among the disability community, uh, keeping people out of facilities like that where where abuse is it happens, um, and 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 even not just disability community, but elderly community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just reducing the number. If someone is in a nursing home, almost entirely those services can be done at home. If they don't have to be in a hospital setting, they can be in their home with the right support. And and it takes money and it takes time and it takes figuring out um, 
but we just need to be willing to do that because everyone deserves that right. You know, it's interesting because uh, there are a number of nominated pictures this year that deal with elder care um, Uh and individuals who become discarded in society. We have Nomadland for Best Picture, and we have The Father um, and Minari, where an elderly grandma comes to live with this family, and then um, Crip Camp. And I, I just feel like it's an interesting list of films after living through COVID-19 and mm. observing often how horrifically society is willing to discard people for whatever reason. Um, and it's been, it's been really wretched to watch. And these movies have been, uh, a reminder to me anyway, on how we need to do better. Um, yeah, and I don't know if that's an accident. It had to have been because these movies went into production prior to 2020, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a strange coincidence. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to remember, too, you know, we talk about disability and we talk about um, we talk about that as, as if it's people that aren't us. Um, the disabled community is the largest minority group. One in four people has a disability. Um, it's the only disability, only minority group that anyone of any age, of any race, of any gender, of any sexual orientation can join at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we, we talk about these issues, we talk about them as things that are not going to impact us, and they absolutely will, <laughs> whether it's you or your parent or a child or a friend, um, especially as we start to live longer. Um, you know, these are all issues that are going to have huge impacts on us individually, and we need to address them collectively. You know, it's interesting, too, because they spent a little bit of time in this documentary showing some of the changes that were implemented after the ADA. And I know that a lot of them aren't being as enforced as they should be, but those that are seem to benefit everybody. You know, they're not just for the benefit of the disabled, but even something as simple as a little ramp in the sidewalk, you know, for a kid riding a bike, having that easy access or a mom pushing the stroller, like for everyone, these are good changes. And it really struck me how much allowing access, not only for the disabled, like allows greater access for every human. And it's just a shame it took us so long. There's very few things that, you know, take away access from other people when you add it for one person. Hmm. One of the really interesting things about the documentary to me is, especially as they were showing the kids in the camp in the early part of the documentary, they really drive home this point that everybody who's at the camp has an understanding and empathy for one another, even if they don't share the same kind of disabilities. So like people who use a wheelchair, but do not have any kind of intellectual disability, have great empathy and understanding for people at the camp who have intellectual disabilities or, you know, disabilities that make them make it very difficult for them to communicate verbally or something. And because, you know, they've had the experience of being discriminated against and having a difficult time living in society that in a society that is sort of relegating them to the fringes and so forth. And one, one of the things I kept thinking about as I was watching this is often 
in order for there to be advancement for a group of people, you have to have people within that group start advocating for themselves because people outside of the group, just human nature, we don't tend to think about what an experience might look like for somebody else if we don't share that experience. And I thought it was really interesting that the people who were advocating for these changes and were doing it the most effectively to the non-disabled world were, of course, people without intellectual disabilities and people who are able to effectively verbally communicate because they were able to get their message across. And I thought it was really interesting and compelling to see that the people that were sort of at the forefront of that movement were not just advocating for better laws so that people who use a wheelchair can get around more easily, but laws that would actually uh, benefit the disabled community as a whole, whatever disability their disability looks like. And I'd be curious, Shelby, for your thoughts on kind of how the documentary portrayed that and whether I'm seeing that accurately, but is there sort of a sense in the disability community that, no, we're all together on this, we're all going to work together even if we have different challenges? Yeah, no, I think that that is a, that's something that is not necessarily natural a lot of times for people, um, but it's something that everybody's trying to work towards. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, there's the idea, nothing about us without us, and that started from the disability community. So really first, it was reclaiming our identity and our um, advocacy from parents and from um, professionals, doctors, therapists, things, people like that, I'm really saying, no, we need to be the ones that are, um, you know, communicating our needs and you need to listen to us because we have a different experience than, you know, a parent of a disabled person. Um, so that was kind of the first wave of that. Um, and we're still, that's still an ongoing battle. Um, but there's definitely one of the things that really resonated with me uh, in the movie was this idea of kind of a hierarchy of disability. And that is something I am absolutely guilty of and, and something that I am working really hard to make sure that I am not perpetuating. Mm. Um, but we do still see that today. I mean, think of, and even thinking of it in terms of um, people with, uh, intersectional diversity. So are you seeing black disabled people or are you only seeing cute white babies with Down syndrome? Mm. Um, are you seeing disabled adults? Are you seeing um, adults who were born disabled or are you only seeing adults who became disabled later in life? Um, and those kinds of things. So mm. there, I definitely have this kind of internalized hierarchy um, and, and often, you know, I would think, why, why are they treating me like I can't communicate for myself because I can. And, you know, for a while that made me, I don't want to say it made me feel like I was better, but it made me feel, you know, I deserved better treatment because I was able to communicate for myself. And, and so that's something you know, I am trying to um, work through because we mm. all have that internalized ableism. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And everyone has it on different levels. So working through that for myself um, is definitely it. And I think one of the amazing things of, you know, being in 2021 is the technology that allows so many more people that 
you know, even 10 years ago would not have been able to advocate for themselves nearly as much as they can now. Mm. Um, that's an amazing benefit. There's so many people that uh, have a hard time verbally communicating that can type and write and just have such clear and concise thoughts mm-hmm. um, and can write so compellingly. And we've missed all of that because mm-hmm. we just refused. We, you know, part of the time we refused to listen. And then we also just didn't have the ability to really figure out how to tap into that person's inner workings. Mm-hmm. And so technology has been a huge part of that as well. I was thinking about while I was watching this, that, that exact point, Shelby, I have a colleague who has cerebral palsy and really, really difficult time verbally communicating almost to the point where he can't. And uh, he's extremely bright and I've worked on in, on like substantive work with him and he's submitted briefs before the United States Supreme Court and he's this incredibly intelligent legal mind. And I, while I was watching this, I kept thinking, wow, like 30, 40 years ago, he would have just been kind of trapped away in an apartment somewhere. Nobody would have known what to do with him and would wouldn't have would have generally not had the motivation to try and figure out, quote unquote, what to do with him. And yet here we are benefiting from this like incredibly intelligent legal mind who's able to process information just fine. And it really is kind of fascinating to see, you know, in the documentary, I think they do a good job of showing a lot of the people who are subjects of the documentary and how they're able to contribute to the world in incredible ways because they were able to carve out a place for them to do that. And I do, I do wonder how many people even still right now that we're not allowing to spread their wings because we've set up our society in a way that is just not creating a path for people to contribute in the way that they actually can and want to. And it, it's kind of it's kind of a bleak and discouraging thought, but it really is incredible to see the progress that we've made since, you know, the early parts of the, of the documentary that depict the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I, that has been... I watched it again last night because I watched it. I saw it Sunday for the first time, and then I watched it again last night. And that was the thing that just kept hitting me again was this, like, immense gratitude for how far we've come and this idea that, you know, no one was going to give that to us. We had to go in and, you know, take it. Um, But then also just this, at the same time, like, how bleakness of how far still there is to go. Um, And I love Judy Human at one point has a line where she says, you know, I'm just so sick of having to be grateful for an accessible toilet. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that was when I saw it in the theater, that's when I cried. Um, and I don't, I don't cry. I am not a crier in movies. Um, but that was one where I was just like, you know, that there's a difference between being individually grateful. You know, I'm grateful for the things that I have and for um, the people that help me in my daily life. And, And I can individually, individually be grateful to them while at the same time, still demand more from a system that is oppressive. Mm-hmm. And we we don't often allow people that duality of being able to say, you know, I can be, I can have a happy life where I am and be grateful for what I have and also admit and fight for more for myself and for 
future generations. Well, I think we all do that to an extent, right? I think that uh, Eli, as a gay man, probably feels a lot of that. And uh-huh. I, as a woman living in society, feel a lot of that, you know? Uh, right. And so... Yeah, I think there's always that dichotomy of I'm so grateful for how far we've come and mm-hmm. we still have so far to go. Um, I was just really grateful to this documentary for teaching me what I should have learned in school. And I'm embarrassed that I didn't know much of that prior to watching it. Like Eli said, Shelby, most of what I know about the disabled community um, and how much further we have to go is thanks to you um, and thanks to a lot of what you share on Twitter. And I'm sorry that <laughs> that you have to be the one who's educated me on that, but I'm really grateful to you for opening my eyes in a lot of ways and showing me how far we have to go. And I wonder if you'd be willing to share for people who might wonder how they can get involved and how they can learn more, where's a good place to start? Yeah, so Twitter, I think, is one of the most amazing uh, resources for finding people who are... Uh, actually disabled themselves and, you know, kind of the advocacy that they are doing. Um, there is a hashtag, uh, Crick the Vote, which is a great place for looking at um, the intersection of disability rights and politics and voting rights. Um, there is uh, also hashtag Disco, which is disability community. Um, that has, so it's D-I-S capital CEO, um, that is also a great place to start looking. And, and then the, there's the uh, Autism Advocacy, Self-Advocacy Association, I believe it's called. Um, they have some great information about um, autism and neurodivergent folks. Um, so Twitter, I think, is just really the greatest place to really start hearing in kind of people's own voices, own experiences, um, what it is they're going through. And as you start, you know, looking through that, you'll find people that are sharing their own experiences and um, will answer a lot of questions that you may have. Um, And, of course, I'm happy to answer questions um, on Twitter as well. If you have them, um, I may just point you to what you need to Google to go find it yourself. (laughs) Um, But... But it is out there. Just make sure you're looking for people that themselves are disabled and are sharing their own experiences or uplifting the experiences of other disabled people um, as kind of your your starting point um, as, as you're starting to uh, educate yourself on these issues. You know, there's a point in the movie where I, it might be Judy who they are interviewing or somebody, but they're talking about the experience they had in the sit-in and how all of these people were sharing their experiences with each other, were sharing what their experience was like in special ed or what it was like to try and go to public school Mm -hmm. and all these different experiences they've had. And even though they were all part of the same community, they still had so much to learn from each Mm -hmm. other. And that felt very poignant to me. And I Mm -hmm. think that point about... Find people who are using their own words to share their experience. That's the best way to learn from somebody. And again, I'm just really thankful for you and your willingness to do that with us and yeah. with um, everybody. Uh, sorry, did you have something to say? 
I have I have just like one more thing to say. Please. Um, I could talk about this all day, but um, and I think as people you know say, well, I want to start learning about this. I want to know what words I should use. I want to know what the laws are. I want to understand, you know, all of these things. There's a line um, from Denise in the movie where she says, you know, we can have as many laws as we want, but until people's hearts change, um, it's not going to mean anything. So that, I think, is also a big first step for people um, in helping, in starting to view disabled people as people listening to their experiences. And even if you don't understand or you don't get it yet, um, and I think this goes for any marginalized community, you don't have to necessarily understand and have seen it or lived it yourself to believe people when they tell you that things are hard and things could be better. Mm. Um, when you let, when you really start to change your heart and your, your, the way you feel about other people and their experiences, that's when you'll start to see meaningful change um, within yourself and within your community as well. Mm. Thanks for sharing that, Shelby. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, Before you go, we're going to talk about what this movie is up against. Uh, This is nominated in the Best Documentary Feature against Collective, which sounds like a real hilarious romp. (laughs) It's it's an incredible documentary, but it is mm, very sad. (laughs) Mole Agent. Uh, who knows what that is? My Octopus Teacher, which I think we'll talk about next week. Yeah, it really. And that that is the opposite end of the spectrum from Collective. It's just lovely. We're going to talk about that next yeah. week. Meg needs a lovely movie. Okay. Uh, and time. So, I mean, I really enjoyed this. Like I said, I, there's a few flaws. I thought some of the needle drops on the music were a little on the nose. Maybe it's just because I grew up with the Forrest Gump soundtrack that I'm like, <laughs> these are kind of obvious picks. Other than that, boomery. a little boomery. Um, I also, guys, I have a very unpopular opinion. Mm. I don't like that Michelle and Barack are like influencers now. Uh, I'm sorry, but their documentaries don't work for me. <laughs> this was one. Um, I know, but the one that they did last year, what was that one about the... Um, I loved this one a lot, but I feel like the, what they're what they're starting to put out. I just is not don't like like Obama. I don't want your summer playlist. <laughs> so so will Kate or not Kate Well, but Megan and Harry be the new Michelle and Brock? They what? But better. Yeah. Well, will Megan and Harry be the new Michelle and Brock? But better. I mean, they have a production company now too. Maybe it makes sense because megan's an actor you know like entertainment is their thing i'm like obama you're supposed to just like fly to countries and do diplomacy now like that's that's your job vacations i mean actually you know what this is my favorite documentary of the three i've seen so far so i don't know if they can recreate this kind of thing but the one they made last year that they won american factory is that what it was? was so boring I'm sorry. It was. Really I never boring. even saw it. Yeah, it was like nine hours long. Uh, Crip Camp, though, I I think everybody should watch it. I think it's really, yeah, it really is. It's rated R. I think because of language. Probably. I don't remember yeah, anything language. other than language. When I watched it, I watched it last night with my parents, and you, it was fine. You have so. a you have a cool mom, Shelby. <laughs> I do have a cool mom, but I watched it with my dad too. Okay. Like, <laughs> is your dad so not cool? Cool, but. <laughs> 
Less, less so. I mean, my, I don't watch the challenge with my dad, but I watch it with my mom. Shelby goes to Twitter. Everyone smiles and says, "Watching something with my dad." What can I <laughs> <laughs> recommendations? <laughs> my father will be there. <laughs> If you had told me that a year ago, that that's what I was going to be doing today. But can you imagine talking right. to yourself a year ago and trying to explain oh the year? <laughs> You're going to be talking to Megan Eli on the phone in your high school bedroom. Oh, my gosh. Get Shall ready. We? You got a coming. Someone pointed out yesterday that it's been a year since Ina Garten made her cocktail at 9 a.m. <laughs> wow. What a year it's been. I just think about us a year ago like having been in it a month and being like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. How are we ever going to do this for another month? Yep. <laughs> yep. It's fu- Shelby, Shelby, I know you're you're coming back to Salt Lake soon, and we are so excited for that. But your tweet the other day, you tweeted, uh, I'm moving back to Utah soon, and I don't know how to handle it because I've got, grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle <laughs> living with your parents. <laughs> Made me la- I think about that once an hour, and I start laughing again. <laughs> so. Like, nothing will make you feel more poor than living with your parents for a year <laughs> and then going home and being like, wow, where's my pebble ice maker? <laughs> <laughs> they just parents. They just have a lot of they stuff. They just have, they have nice stuff too. Yeah. And they just like ac- accumulated things. Yeah. Cause yep. they've had 40 years to do it. Yep. Or like, I've lived on my own for five years. Where's my stockpile <laughs> of craft supplies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we're like Eli said, we're excited to have you back. I'm vaccinated. He's vaccinated. Mm-hmm. We'll get you in the studio. He's vaccinated. Yes. Okay. All vaccinated. Yep. Thanks so much, Shelby. Okay. We'll be back next week with my octopus teacher. Remember to subscribe to our newsletter, hivemind.substack.com. Uh, become a patron on patreon.com forward slash hivemindhq. We just released the. America's Next Top Model Cycle 4 Makeovers episode, and there is some body shaming that I think Tyra hopefully regrets. Also, (laughs) hop on to our Dress Your Closet Challenge that Shelby put together. I've been doing it every day, and it's actually made me get dressed like a real (laughs) human again, and it feels good. So thank you, Shelby. Anytime. Um, Thanks so much, and we'll be back next week.